From the Orion Policy Institute, this is Orion Talks. Our podcast brings together experts for a conversation about events shaping the world at the local, national, and global levels. Tune in as we discuss foreign policy, security, human rights, political and economic development, and various other issues. Hello, welcome to Orion Talks. I'm your host, Sua Chibukchu. Today, our guest is Dr. Maika Ramon. Dr. Ramon is an assistant professor and Swiss National Science Foundation, Prima Promoting Women in Academia Fellow. She founded and leads the Applied Phase Cognition Lab, and she also directs the Cognitive and Effective Regulation Lab at the University of Lausanne. Her research focuses on cognitive neuroscience and in its translation into application and policy. And today we will talk about her research on super recognizers and also facial recognition technology. Welcome, Micah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us. So your research is really kind of very significant and interesting. Can you walk us through your research on facial recognition technology and your objectives at the AFC lab? Yes, so currently, as you said, my lab is funded through a Swiss National Science Foundation grant, um, which has the goal to investigate the mechanisms underlying so-called super recognizers, unique superiority in processing facial identity. So um, my research really focuses on the human aspect of face recognition, a skill that you know has developed over multiple millions of years as a very critical social ability that our brains are highly skilled at doing. Um, on the other hand, what we need to emphasize is that our brains are really good at processing faces of people that we know personally. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, unfamiliar face processing or matching images of unfamiliar people, that is something that is a relatively new task. So this has only come into existence uh, when we had analog photography and now digital photography. So this is actually something that we are not very efficient at. And, and we seem to um, neglect this uh, because in our everyday life, we think that we are very good at recognizing faces, but we are good at recognizing those that we know personally um, through our interactions. And super recognizers are a little bit different in that sense. So they don't need all of this personal interaction in real life. They process unfamiliar faces in a very proficient manner. And so my lab really wants to understand what makes these super recognizers different and how we can use their ability in various applied uh, contexts. Um, thank you so much. So you briefly talk about, you know, how the recognition processing works and the differences between super recognizer and typical recognizer. And I, I think you had a research on that with the police department. So can you just walk us through your findings and how this affects the law enforcement? So I actually work with a range of different um, police agencies. I don't know exactly which work you're referring to. Um, one of our recent studies or recently published uh, studies actually began some six to seven years ago when the Freeburg Cantonal Police contacted me in the context of two ongoing investigations of armed robberies that were committed in a jewelry store and a bank uh, in Freeburg in Switzerland. And um, what they had contacted me for was they were interested in 
soliciting the help of so-called super recognizers to narrow down the search for the suspects. So to be much more efficient in their criminal investigation process and to limit the number of people that they were potentially investigating. And at the time being, um, you know, there was actually no empirical evidence um, at that point in, in terms of how well super recognizers actually perform in such real world applied task, um, specifically forensic perpetrator identification. So um, I, I used this, this opportunity, this request for help to specifically answer this question scientifically. Um, so on the one hand, I, I gathered the help and support of the super recognizers that I had contact to at the time being, but I also used this um, forensic material to specifically answer this knowledge gap in the scientific literature. And now six, seven years later, we have the first available empirical evidence that suggests that yes, people who we identify in the lab as being so-called super recognizers do as a group perform significantly better than non-super recognizers. That means that they can um, identify more efficiently um, suspects correctly. Yeah, so that's very interesting. So you look at the human aspects. Also now, you know, we have so much discussion about the technology, facial recognition technology. Uh, so from your perspective, is it accurate enough for law enforcement or other government agencies or private companies use this kind of technology? Well, as I said, that's not my um, field of speciality. Mm -hmm. I am not a computer scientist. Um, I don't work on algorithmic development. And I guess your question of is it um, sufficiently sensitive or is it accurate enough? I guess it depends mm -hmm. on what is accurate enough. Yeah, what is the threshold that is acceptable? And certainly this answer, the answer to that question will be very different depending on the algorithms or technology implementations that we consider. So one algorithm is not like the other. And so I feel that that's a quite difficult question to answer for a number of reasons. So especially when you think about false positives and false negatives. So have, mm -hmm. do you have any kind of uh, some insights on that, whether we should rely on this technology? Well, like I said, you know, different algorithms will um, make different types of mistakes in different types of contexts. So I think um, just like brains and people, um, mm -hmm. different technological solutions will have limitations and advantages. And I think what's really important is that we, we know in detail the, the possibilities, the possible advantages, as well as their limitations, so that we can use them appropriately if this is legally permissible. Um, so, of course, false positives and false negatives have potentially negative consequences for society. Um, negative consequences can be if we, for example, fail to recognize a known wanted suspect who goes unrecognized and then commits a crime yeah. that uh, invades public safety. Um, but of course, false positives um, are also uh, potentially consequential. But on the other hand, I also would say that to my knowledge, at least, it is never one source of information that is used, for instance, to identify a perpetrator. You always require a collective number of sources and indices that have to point towards a person. So to my knowledge, no decision about a crime is made solely based on 
for example, face recognition technology, but a number of different aspects have to come together before someone would be persecuted or, um, or convicted of a crime. Yeah, and also we see that like different countries, for example, China is pretty much using this technology in public and private places. And also we see some private companies are using in the United States. So how can we ensure that this technology is used responsibly? I mean, do you have any, any insights on that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, and also, I believe that the, the, the question of how can we ensure that it is reused responsibly always requires us to carefully consider the um, societal context in which it is used. So what is considered responsible in one country might vary from another country. So I think um, what is generally, what we can say more generally is that we have to ensure that the most capable individuals use technology in a way that is legally permissible. So that will then obviously be nationally dependent. And in my opinion, transparency and oversight is really key. We need to, or I believe that societies have the right to know what is used by whom, for which purpose, and for which purposes it is actually not being used. And, and this is a conversation that, that I think wider society should be part of to ensure that trust in institutions is also maintained now, um, as a follow-up question, so what do you think can be the ethical concerns, major ethical concerns, and how can this be addressed by communities and the societies and the, the governments? Well, I think ethical concerns can be varied, um, and I believe that in order to address these varied concerns that will vary as a function of stakeholders. Are we talking mm -hmm. about civilians, members of society? Are we talking about NGOs who might have different concerns or you know, law enforcement professionals who are on the one hand tasked to ensure public safety, but on the other hand might be met with some skepticism when it comes to the deployment of technology more generally. Um, so I think that we need to consider ethical considerations from different perspectives and that this can be most efficiently done if we include a number of stakeholders at the table to have a conversation about the use and the potentially non-desirable use case scenarios. Um, Micah, thank you so much. It was great to hear uh, from you about your research and what you're doing with your lab. Thank you so much for your insights. Thank you. Thank you for having me.